The scripture reading is from Luke 1, verse 26 through 38, 46, verse 55. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servants Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Anne. So good morning. My name is Drew. Just making sure y'all are awake. Uh, It's good to see you this morning. We continue in this series that we've been uh, walking through all Advent, uh, looking at a thread that that really occurs throughout the entire Bible, these stories of barren women who supernaturally give birth to children. It seems that any time the Lord intends to push his purposes forward in the world, it begins with a barren woman. And we come this morning to this famous Christmas text, not a text about a barren woman, uh, but an even more supernatural birth because this is the birth to a virgin. A woman who has not been with a man, who still gives birth to a child, and this child will not be a prophet uh, like Samuel or uh, one like um, Isaac, a child of promise. This will be the very son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the message of Christmas is then this, that God came into the world in weakness and smallness to save not the proud, but those who admit that they are also weak, small, and need a savior. The question to us this morning and throughout these these, uh, weeks in Advent has really been, how do you do with being weak and small and needy? How do you do when you're weak and you're small and you're needy? Most of us have a hard time. We feel shame, we get afraid, we, we um, we have faith and joy and hope only when we're big and strong, but that is contrary to what God reveals in the stories that we've been studying together. Salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, contrary to human strength and spiritual achievement. 
Um, so, so Jonathan was joking with, about Jesus points, okay? Did y'all pick that up? We were concerned in the front that after my slapping you on the hand and him doing that, there might be some confusion in the room. Let me say again, so you can make sure to know what we believe, that we, we don't believe in Jesus points. We believe Jesus has all the Jesus points, and hopefully we're in him. And if we're in him, then everything that's his is ours. But it's contrary to human strength and spiritual achievement. If you believe that, which all Christians do, then weakness and smallness is not an occasion for despair. But actually, the experience of being weak and small and in need becomes an occasion for hope and joy and faith and love. Because if being weak and small and needy overwhelms you with fear then it will also keep you from loving. Now, I can only speak for myself, but when I'm afraid, I tend to think more about me and less about others. I only love well, and even then not very well, when I'm strong and in control. Here's the problem. I'm hardly ever strong and in control. Most of the time, I'm afraid. So, how do you say no to fear and say yes to love? That's the question, that's what Mary does. And that's the question I'd like to ask of this passage in Luke 1. How do you say no to fear and yes to love? Because fear and love are opposites and that's what we're gonna see. And so here's what we wanna see from Luke 1 here. We wanna see Mary's fear. There's a temptation for her to say no to God and no to others, but she miraculously and wonderfully uh, in this great confession of faith says yes, Yes to God and what God's doing, and yes to the work of love. And then uh, we thirdly want to ask, how does Christmas help you and I get there too? How does Christmas help you and I get there too? So first, let's start with fear. Let's start with this, this issue of fear. Most of us say no to God and to others because of fear. And this is why the most oft-repeated command in the scriptures, do you know what it is? Do not fear. It's what God commands us more than anything else. Do not fear. In every one of these nativity stories, when the angel shows up, guess what the first words are the angel speaks? Don't be afraid. That in itself, I think, shows what Christmas is all about. What is God doing in the incarnation? What is the message that he has given to the angels to come and bring to men? He is putting an end to fear. All of the images of night and darkness and shadow in Isaiah 9, for example, which we read, they picture the world in the grip of fear, and then the light shines, and as a result, there's, there's no more fear. So why are we so afraid? Before we talk about Mary specifically, let's think about this just in general for a minute. Why are we so afraid? Every time, every place God comes near to people in the Bible, the universal initial reaction is traumatic anxiety and fear. Why? I was thinking about that, and then I thought about this. Have you ever had a falling out with someone? You were close friends. You were really, really close friends, and there was, there was something happened in the relationship, and then um, there was a you know, falling out of some kind, and all of the warmth and all of the affection in the relationship turned into awkwardness and conflict and tension and pain. And then you, you, you talked every day, and then all of a sudden you don't talk for six months, and it's just this... It's become this really bad thing. It just leaves a hole in your heart. You try to forget and you can't, but there's no access and you don't see this person forever. And then uh, you happen to just walk into a store or a restaurant one day and there they are. 
What's that feel like? What do you feel? I think you probably had that experience, right? Now, the Bible says magnify that 1,000 times. Magnify the warmth and the affection 1,000 times. Magnify the awkwardness and loss and pain 1,000 times, and you will get a sense of why people who have a close encounter with God as he comes near to them experience so much anxiety and fear. Our relationship with God is broken. Our sin has alienated us from him. Uh, We don't trust him. Instead of warmth and intimacy and affection, there's distance and a sense of condemnation and distrust which is why there's so much fear. Because we don't trust him, we try to control our lives. Because we think if we can stay in control, then we can be happy and content. And what I wanna say to you is it's really an illusion. It's the life control illusion. You're not in control of your life. I'm not in control of my life. Let me just, you've never been in control of your life. You are at the mercy of forces and people that you cannot predict or manage. But it's so scary to admit that, that we live in denial. And then what happens is God comes near. And when he, when he comes near, the very coming near of God to us poses, uh, is a presence of a, of a threat to this illusion we're living our lives in. It pierces through all of our defense mechanisms. It reminds us, I'm not God, he is. I don't get to call the shots, he does. I don't bend my will to, I don't bend him to my will, he bends me to his. And the result instinctually is fear. I'm out of sorts with the one who holds the universe in place by the word of his power and he can do whatever he wants with me and there's nothing I can do, there's nothing I can say, I'm not in control. And for most people it's a terrifying reality. But here's the lesson we learned from the text that we have to make sense of this morning, and it's just this. What Mary's story teaches us is that there is no way to to walk with God and stay in control of your life. There's no way to have an encounter with God or to walk with him and stay in control of your life. The act of believing is taking your hands off your life and putting it in God's hands. Jesus Christ is not only Savior, he is also Lord. He is both both in your life or he is neither in your life. And so when God came to Mary in Luke 1, She lost control. You see this in the way the story plays out around her. In Luke chapter 1, God gave Zechariah and Elizabeth a baby, and he gave the baby a name. He came to Zechariah and he said, this is chapter 1, verse 13, you shall call his name John. In Matthew, God came to Joseph and he said, uh, excuse me, in Matthew, he came to Joseph, and here's what he said to Joseph, Mary will bear a son, Matthew 1, 21, and you will call his name Jesus. What's interesting and what the commentators say is in both cases, God named the child, the father didn't, and that's really significant. The commentators point out that in a patriarchal culture like this one, it was the father's absolute right to name his child. And the name carried with it the father's vision for the child's life, what the father expected the child would do and what he would become. And by taking that right away from Mary and Joseph here, God is saying this, here's the way this works. I name you, you don't name me. If you're gonna be swept up into what I'm doing, then I get to name you, you don't name me. And that was an atomic bomb going off in Mary's life. But here's what I would say to you, that's the way it always is when you begin to take God seriously. There was real cost to Mary. That needs to be said. 
I mean, Christians have venerated her through the centuries, and rightly so. I mean, think of what she stands to lose. I read somewhere, her, here are her three options in light of what God has come to do. She can, um, how, how did they put this? It was really great. She can, she might be killed, so she may end up in the morgue. If she doesn't end up in the morgue, she's uh, going to end up on the streets. And if she doesn't end up on the streets, she's going to end up in a psychiatric ward. So it's the morgue, the streets, or the psychiatric ward. That's basically her options. I mean, what's she going to say? This is God's baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. And so what are people going to think? Well, she sleeps around. Uh, which it will, you know, will get you shamed and socially excluded in our day. In her day, it'll get you killed. She, she is asking, she's being asked to risk her marriage, her personal safety, any hope of a nice, safe, nice, safe comfortable life. And so you can understand why she would be afraid. Now, what do you usually do when you're afraid? When you're full of anxiety and fear, do you love more or do you love less? Do you become more loving or more selfish? And here's my contention. And here's really what I want to get at this morning is that fear will cause you to say no to God and others. In 1 John 4, the apostle John says that love and fear are opposites. Here's the verse, uh, John, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but love casts out fear. So if you're full of fear, then you can't love. That's what John's saying. If you do nice things for someone else because you're afraid, then that's not love. It's actually selfishness. If you obey God because you're afraid and not because you love him, then you're doing it for yourself and not for him. So in order to love, you first have to deal with your fear. Ironically, the way that you deal with your fear is to first have an experience of being truly loved. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. You can't love without risk. You can't risk without, you can't risk if you're afraid. And the true reality of, of love is that it's scary. It means losing control. C.S. Lewis said, if you choose to love, you're choosing a broken heart. And sometimes it's honestly just too hard, sometimes for me anyway. It's easier to lock your heart up in what he called a coffin of selfishness. And the problem is, he said, that when you do that, you're still not safe. See, the irony is, he says, it's, it's really, it's, it, people want to get away from how hard it is to love and to be safe. And so we lock our hearts up in a coffin of selfishness, but even there, it's not safe because... If you do that, you might keep your heart from being broken, but what will happen to it is that it will eventually become unbreakable, which is way worse. And that might be what we would expect from Mary, but it's not what we get. The text is quite clear. Let's look. She was afraid, verse 31. The angel addresses her for good reason. And yet, when we come to verse 38, it's this marvelous statement in all of the Bible. She's able to fight through her fear, fight off her selfishness, and submit herself to God. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Look at verse 38, let it be to me according to your word. Those are, those are hard-fought words. And it's to them that we want to turn in the second part of the sermon because we see here the opposite of fear is love. Fear is saying no to God and others. Love is saying yes. And so in order to say yes to love, you have to say no to fear, and that's what we're after. But how? Well, let's see how it happened to Mary. Remember, all fear stems from being alienated from God's love. Love then is rooted from being connected to his love. And so the first step to becoming a person who can say yes to God is to, and to others is to see that God has said yes to you, which is what Christmas is all about. We love because he first loved us, the scripture says. So notice how the angel greets Mary in verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Literally, in the original language, 
those words are, are this. It, it says, grace to you, O graced one. Mary was confronted with God's grace. The greeting means that she is the special object of God's love and favor, not because she deserved or, or earned it, but simply as a gift. We know this because the text says, look there in verse 29, it says she was troubled at this saying. In other words, she was turned upside down. She was disoriented. All of her categories for understanding God and life and the way things work got rearranged. And she tried, verse 29, to discern what sort of greeting that might be. It's a marvelous little phrase. Again, in the original language, the translation doesn't pick it up. But in the original language, it says, she, uh, literally, she's trying to figure out what country this greeting came from. In other words, I've never heard anything like this, she says. You're speaking a foreign language. The world that I know doesn't work this way. Grace to you, O graced one. And it's true, every other religion or moral philosophy says that the way to get right with God is to summon up all of your strength and make sure you get to church three times on Christmas Eve. Do everything the pastor tells you to do and live as you ought. And the, and the appeal to the strong, to the people who can pull it together. So the favored ones in such religious systems are the kings, the powerful, the religious leaders, those who through grit and determination turn their life around. They are the people that are celebrated. But the God of the Bible is a God of grace. Only Christianity says God has come for the weak. He's come for little teenage girls in out-of-the-way places. He's come only for those who admit they're weak. God saves people not by what they do, but by what he does for them. And the lesson that Mary had to learn was that being right with God is not something that she could do on her own. God had to do it. That's why she's confronted at the very beginning with the idea of grace. She couldn't climb up to him. He had to come down to her. And so the angel goes on. And, I, and instead of getting into all, I just want to paraphrase everything the angel says beginning in verse 30 to her. So if you'd look there, here's the way I would put it. The angel says, Mary, you're going to have a baby who will be the savior of the world, the son of God, the son of David, the king, and his kingdom will be the undoing of everything that is broken and wrong in the world and everything will be made new. And Mary understood the implications. Verse 34, she says, how will this be? For I am a virgin, and the angel continued, it will be accomplished by God's power because nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I love that. Don't you love that? Do you remember four weeks ago when Abraham, when, when Abraham and Sarah were told they were going to have a child, and Sarah laughed and said, I don't believe that. That can't happen. And the Lord posed a question. The Lord said, is anything too, too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? See, here's not a question. Here's the answer to that question. The virgin will be, give birth to the king who will make all things right and will bring a new creation. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. So let me summarize what Mary is learning here for us. First, Christianity is grace. Secondly, because it's grace, it's also miracle. It's supernatural. It's accomplished in God's strength, not ours, a virgin birth. And if it is miracle, here's the logic. If Christianity is grace, then it's miracle. And if it's miracle, then nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. If God can do this, he can, if he can cause life 
in the womb of a virgin, if the uncreated one can be born, if the one who was so immense that he holds the galaxies in his hand can become an embryo, if the timeless one can step into timeless space, time and space, if he can do that, then he can do anything. You see? You with me? And if he can do anything, if he can do anything, and he's the God of mercy and grace, there's no reason to be afraid. You can risk, like Mary. And look at her response, look at her response to the angel's proclamation. It, again, it is just marvelous, for nothing is impossible with God. And what does that evoke out of her? The very next verse, nothing is impossible with God, exclamation point, no question mark, exclamation point. <clears throat> nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. I say yes to whatever you have for me, God. Isn't that amazing? In our culture, we celebrate people who say yes to themselves. It's really backwards. It's really backwards. The stories that we celebrate uh, as a people are those where people are true to themselves, where they say no to what others might expect of them or what others might need of them. And biblically, let me hear, let me hear me say, biblically, that is not an act of courage. It's an act of selfishness. It's the very essence of sin to say no to God and others and to say yes to your own desires. The man in the garden in the story in Genesis said, not your will, but mine be done. And it was the undoing of everything good and true and beautiful in the world. And the way back, the way back in is not to continue to do the very thing that Adam did. The way back in is not to continue in selfishness. The way back in is love. It's saying what Mary said. What did Mary say? God, not my will, but yours be done. You see that? And of course, do those words on the lips of Mary recall anything to mind? Years later, her son would make a similar surrender. For every sacrifice Mary made for him, Jesus would make infinitely more for her. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just like Adam in the, the first Adam in the first garden, the second Adam in the second garden, on the eve of his crucifixion, crying out in anguish, praying to God, and this is what he said, Father, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The cup was the, wrath, the cup of God's wrath against sin. He knew that his obedience would plunge him into infinite, unfathomable darkness unlike any anyone had ever known, and it caused him such anxiety and fear. Do you hear that? You're, if, you're, if you're a Christian, your Lord and Savior knows what it is to live with anxiety and fear because he experienced such anxiety and fear that he began to sweat blood through the pores of his skin. And yet, to save us, he found it within himself to say no to his fear, to say yes to love, love for his father and love for you. And here's what I want you to see, that's God's heart. When you see Jesus wrestling like that, one commentator I read this week said, no other, no other God in the history of the world uh, needed, ever needed courage. It, it, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the attributes of our God is courage. We see it in Jesus in the garden. And where does this courage come from? It came from love. I want you to see Jesus wrestling his heart into obedience to the Father. And I want you to see in his heart, God the Father's heart as well. It takes courage to be with him, but consider it took infinitely more courage for God to be with you. Why did Jesus have the courage to go to the cross and face the wrath of God? 
love. We love because he first loved us. And his love casts out all fear. So let me just say, let me just say this before we move on. I want you to see, I want you to see how this works. I want you to see this one last thing before we move on to the, to the last bit I want to say, say, and that's this, that Mary's faith is so stunning. Uh, and the echo of her faith and Jesus' faith is so overwhelmingly marvelous that you can miss. You can miss how hard fought this was in Mary, that there was doubt she had to work through. Uh, she has to be brought to this over the, the, the span of this chapter she deals with this angel. And so I want you to see that there's doubt mixed in here too, so that you come to know that doubting is not contrary to faith. Before her amazing surrender, verse 38, there's the statement, verse 34. Look at verse 34. How will this be? Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that sounds a lot like Zechariah earlier in Luke chapter 1. Do you remember what happened to him? Gabriel came to him too, and he asked a similar question. How do I, how do I know this is going to happen? And, and it made Gabriel angry, and he made Zechariah mute because he didn't believe his words. So... Why such a strong reaction with Zechariah and a different reaction to Mary? And it's because it has to do with the fact that not all doubt's the same, that her doubt was different than his. Listen to uh, Tim Keller, who wrote about this in a little book he, he wrote called The Hidden Christmas. He says, the Bible's view of doubt is wonderfully nuanced. In many circles, skepticism and doubt are considered an absolute good. In conservative and traditional religious circles, any and all questioning or doubting is thought to be bad. You might be told, you shouldn't doubt, just believe. Just have faith. But what you have in the Bible is neither view. There's a kind of doubt that is the sign of a closed mind, and there's the kind of doubt that's the sign of an open mind. Some doubt seeks answers, and some doubt is a defense against the possibility of answers. There are people like Mary who are open to the truth and are willing to relinquish sovereignty over their lives if they can be shown the truth as other than what they thought. And then there are those like Zechariah who use doubts as a way to stay in control of their lives and keep their minds closed. Zechariah's doubting was cynicism and unbelief. Mary's was wonder and amazement at the largeness of what God was doing. And those are very different. So to you, if you have doubts, what kind of doubts are your doubts? And if you're not there yet, if there is doubting you're having to work through, or if there's just apathy and kind of indifference you're having to shake off, if you've not found the courage to say no to fear and yes to love, what do you do? How do you get there? And how does the Christmas story help? And so let me finish by making just a couple of applications here at the very end. There are three things, and they're all spiritual practices. So very practically, I think. Uh, and you'll see, I hope, why, uh, why it's so important, how I, how I kind of admonished us earlier uh, in, in just a minute. Three things. There are three spiritual practices. If you want to get to where Mary was and where the Lord Jesus was, which is possible for you because he's in you and he wants to do the same thing in you. You have to behold. You have to sing. And you have to catch the infection. You have to behold, you have to sing, and you have to catch the infection. Let me, let me show you. First, notice the way the angel said it to Mary. Do not be afraid. Look here. This is important, verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive. I point that out because it's not unique to this story. In Luke 2, when the angel appeared to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night, the address begins, began the, the same way. The angel said, fear not for what? Do you know what the next word is? Some of you memorize it so you know. Fear not for, behold, I bring you gospel. So both times the angel said, don't be afraid, what? So what's the solution to fear? 
Behold, you see, don't be afraid, do this instead. Here's the way out, here's the way out of fear. You have to take, you have to behold, and that word means this, it means turn your attention. It means something really important is happening, don't miss it. Stop focusing on whatever is making you so afraid and start beholding the glory of what God is doing at Christmas. Martin Lloyd-Jones would tell you, you have to think your way out of fear. You have to remind yourself of what is true. You have to slow down. You have to take time to really look at all the glorious truths revealed in this story. There's so much here. We could do a year of sermons just on this one story. It's not our point this morning. Our point this morning is to say the way you, the way you, the way you get out of your fear is not to lessen your spiritual disciplines. The way you get out of your fear is to figure out how to fill your life with pondering and wondering and beholding the great, which is why you should come back tonight. It's not just so that I don't feel alone. It's because I love you and I know most of you are afraid like me. And the way you stop being afraid is to force yourself, force your eyes to behold the glories of what we claim to be true today. And I promise you, you will have forgotten it by two o'clock this afternoon, which is why you need to come back, probably for both services. That might be a good thing. <laughs> because you'll, you'll forget it by 6.05, and you'll need to come back at 6.30 and behold again. Behold, study, ponder, not just for knowledge, but linger until you get amazement and wonder. But secondly, not only behold, but you, but you, you have to sing. And I say sing because you sing about the things that amaze you. You don't sing about the tax code. If you do, come talk to me. We need to have a conversation. You sing about things that amaze you. And there was a song in Mary's heart, and it would be enough to give a, it, 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 would, it would not have been enough to have given a lecture or to write a blog. She needed to sing. Oh, man, you know, we don't have time. All of that stuff that Anne read in uh, verses 46 through 55. We, we just don't have time to talk about it all this morning. Come back, we'll do it tonight maybe, or take some time around the dinner table at some point over the next couple days to just read it and go through it together. But she sang about God's wonderful grace that comes to the humble. She sang about God. It was a remix of Hannah's song, My Soul Magnifies the Lord, verse 46, and Rejoices in God My Savior. Luke 1 and 2 are full of songs. Everyone is singing, and so, uh, we need to sing, and we need to, we, need to, we need to come to these services, and we need to sing louder than we usually do. Before you open presents tomorrow, and the kids will hate me for saying this, but stop and sing. Hey, all right. The Arias family's going to do that. You should too. Gather around the table, and don't just say a quick little prayer because the food's getting cold. Sing. Pull out the guitar. Gather around the piano sing because this is worthy of being sung so you gotta you gotta behold and you gotta sing but then lastly you gotta catch the infection what do i mean by that well there's actually a scene in between mary's encounter with the angel and her song that explains why she sang because her joy was was long in coming and the joy in her song didn't come from her she caught it from someone else after the angel uh Mary, after the visit with the angel, Mary went to see her cousin Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, who we talked about uh, last week. 
John the Baptist's mother, and when Mary walked into the house, this is my, this is my absolute favorite part of all of these stories in Luke chapter 1. Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. She walks into the house, and John the Baptist, who is in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy because he's, he's in the vicinity of his Lord and Savior. <laughs> Just, it is so instinctual to him to celebrate the Christ God come to earth that when he gets within feet of him, he starts to go crazy in his mother's womb. And it overwhelms Elizabeth. His joy becomes like an infection. Elizabeth catches it. And what does Elizabeth begin to do? Mary walks in the door and Elizabeth breaks into a song and begins to sing about Mary and about how Mary's going to be known forever as the mother of the, of the Christ child and all of these things. And so Zechariah's mother caught her joy from um, Zechariah. John's mother, Elizabeth, caught her joy from John and Mary caught her joy from Elizabeth. It was Elizabeth's singing as an echo to John's leaping that caused Mary's song. And so C.S. Lewis said, good things as well as bad are caught by a kind of infection. And if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want joy, you must get close to or even into the thing that has it. Joy is not a prize, which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. Lewis says, joy is a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you will remain dry. How do you catch the infection? Get close to Jesus. Use the time off in the coming days. Linger longer with coffee and your Bible. Fight to slow down at the very time when things seem to ramp up. Don't just, don't, don't miss out on the gatherings that we have. Don't just celebrate Jesus and read about him and talk about him. Be with him. Be with him. And if you can't, if you're just too discouraged or tired, and when, if, you try, if when you try it feels stale, if you can't get close to him, if you can't seem to get there, then here's what you do. You need to get close to those who are close to him. If you're all out of hope, find someone who can hope for you. If you can't find joy, find someone who has, go hang out with Bob Allums <laughs> and let his joy swallow up swallow up your sadness. I can't, I can't not laugh when I hear Bob laugh because he just calls me out of my cynicism. You need somebody like that in your life. If you can't get close to him, get close to somebody who is. It takes courage to love. For some reason, for some of us, the next few days will require incredible courage. Amen? Can I get an amen from anybody? Yeah, thank you. Not necessarily, when I say get close to people, that doesn't necessarily translate to where you're going, the places you're going to be celebrating. So where does that courage come from? The writer of Hebrews says this, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting being together, but encouraging one another. Faith, joy, hope, love, these are community projects. We need one another. So be good to one another, church. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table now this morning. Okay, as we gather around the table uh, now to celebrate this meal, we do pray that you would come and be with us. Uh, we, we know that we desperately need to be near to you, and, but, but the truth of this story and of all the stories teach us is that in our desire to be near to you, we know that there's no way. We cannot climb up to heaven. 
we, we cannot bridge the gulf that exists between you and, you and us because of our sin. And so we give thanks that the message of Christmas, the coming of Christ into the world and uh, a baby being born in Bethlehem has once and for all settled the issue and has shown to us that you are so committed to living in intimacy and closeness with us that you don't ask us to come to you, you come running. You are the father in the parable that Jesus told that sees the sun on the horizon and does not wait for him to come all the way home but can't help himself, but that runs. Christmas is you running to us to embrace us in our shame, in our brokenness, in our sin. And that is, and that is revealed even more so uh, as, as the Lord Jesus ran to his cross, bearing the cost of loving us as a sacrifice for our sins. Here at this table, we see your great sacrificial love for us, and we celebrate. And so help us come and, and help us to find joy and, and hope and faith here and that the result will be that we would be a people who love one another the way that you've loved us and who love uh, the world you've sent us into in the way that you've loved us. That is our hope and prayer. And so we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And what a great song. Uh, so I hope you have a great Christmas. Thank you for coming and, and, and being with us this morning. It's good to see so many of you here. Uh, one thing, we're going to be setting up, and so if you stick around, just know we're going to be doing some things up near the stage. Also, uh, if your children are going to sing, and I hope they will, uh, Misty would like to meet with you very, she said, uh, five minutes, and you're getting out about five minutes ahead of when we're supposed to get out anyway, and so you have five minutes. Go see her in the fellowship hall for just a couple of minutes so she can organize that. Uh, if you do that. And then I would encourage you, if you're coming at five, come a little early because I expect it to be kind of a full crowd. Uh, and then um, we'll see you then or at 630 if you're coming. Uh, go singing for the rest of today uh, and go singing, I hope, over the next few days as you gather with family and friends to celebrate the Savior. Uh, know that just as he came to Mary and said, grace to you, O grace one, the Lord is with you. You found favor with God. That's what these words mean, that if your faith is in his, her son, that he would say the same thing with you. You have my favor. And so receive the promise of the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Merry Christmas. Go in his peace.